All right. We're going to start with Philippians. All right, Philippians. So now, here we go. Uh, Paul is likely... And again, Philippians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I'll say it again. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those four books are referred to as the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, re- referred to as the prison epistles. Paul apparently wrote these letters from prison. Traditionally, it's been accepted that he wrote them from a Roman prison. Maybe the one that he was in at the end of the book of Acts. More recently, it seems that the wave of scholarship is actually supporting the idea that he wrote this from a prison in Ephesus. It makes more sense that Colossians, uh, Philippians, and Philemon were written from a prison in Ephesus. Whether or not Ephesians was also is kind of questionable. Right? Why would you write a letter when you're already in that same city? But obviously, if you can't get out, maybe, you know, maybe it services for the churches there. You don't believe my word? Okay, believe Paul's writing. Um, but Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, apparently they were written from a prison while Paul uh, was there uh, in Ephesus. Um, Paul's in prison there. It's a, it, we know that emphatically, by the way. Chapter 1, verse uh, 13. My imprisonment and the cause of Christ become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. All right, so he's clearly in a prison. Writing a letter. The church in Philippi, so um, Ephesians is, Ephesus is here, Philippi is up here. The church in Philippi had sent Paul, a man named Epaphroditus, or Epaphroditus. Uh, he was there to care for Paul. Uh, the Philippians and Paul had a great relationship. This is the only church that ever sent Paul any financial gifts. Now, by the way, remember, gifts come with obligations. So Paul didn't want gifts. He didn't want to receive them. Well, they sent him Epaphroditus. He's going to come help work for Paul. Well, while he was there, this is chapter 2, Epaphroditus became ill. And Paul's like, look, the guy almost died. I'm sending him home. I, can't, I, don't, want to bear the, I don't want to bear the burden with this guy dying on my, on my terms. I'm sending him home. The church in Philippi, however, was hoping that Paul would also send Ty, t- uh, Timothy. And Paul answer, Paul's answer in chapter 2 is, I was hoping to send Timothy, but he's of too much value to me right now. I can't afford to send him to you. So part of the letter of Philippians is, is answering these circumstances of what's going on. Why are you sending this guy home? We sent him to care for you. Answer, read the letter. Oh, you almost died while you were with Paul, and now you're better, and Paul felt obligated to send you back. Why is Timothy not with you? Oh, Paul says he wants to send him soon, but he can't because he's of too value of, of ministry uh, there. In the meantime, there are also some problems in the church in Philippi. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, And those problems were caused by Jewish Christians who were causing uh, uh, problems with the Gentile believers. And we see this in chapter 3 in particular. The the circumcision group, that's right. Uh, Philippians 3. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Let's see. Verse 2. Beware of the dogs, the evil workers. And dogs is a derogatory term for Gentiles. Someone not Jewish. But look what he calls them. He calls them dogs, but, he, but they're Jewish. Mm-hmm. All right? The evil workers, the false circumcision. Look what he says in verse 3. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay? So the circumcision group is causing problems there. Paul says about the circumcision group in chapter 1, uh, verse 17, that they preach the gospel out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Somehow, 
They thought, we'll go in the, in the Philippi and preach the gospel, a different one, and we'll, and we'll make Paul angry. And Paul's like, Christ is being preached. I don't care. Yeah. And their answer, like, oh, you're supposed to care because we're doing it to make you angry. Right? And Paul's like, well, they might not be getting anything out of it, but the gospel's still being preached. Amen. Now, Paul goes on to say something very interesting here at the end of Colossians 1. Uh, and it says, uh, and, and we'll see this in a lot of letters. I've skipped over it a few times already. But Colossians 1.27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Right? I, I, you see that a number of times. Thessalonians has it. Uh, Colossians has it. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Mm-hmm. There you go. Right? And look what he goes on to add to that now. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of your good standing. Let me skip down to verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, but also to suffer. You're like, well, I'm good with the first part, Paul. I don't know about the second part. I'm glad you granted it for me to believe, but you also granted it for me to suffer. Experiencing that, verse 30, the same conflict you saw in me and now here to be in me also. Mm-hmm. All right, the, chapter 2 then begins with this great statement. Uh, if therefore there's anything in Christ, let's be unified. Verse 2, make my joy complete by being in the same mind, the same spirit, the same love, Intent on one purpose. Do nothing on a selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. That's the essence of love, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In humility consider others more important than yourselves. That's, co- that's countercultural for us too, by the way, but it was radically countercultural for them mm-hmm. because my being more important than you is how I get ahead in, in society. That's just, that's just the way society works. Right? Uh, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then we have another one of these, it's called the Christ Hymn. Okay. Um, this is probably a creed or some hymn. It's hymnic, which means it, it, it was probably sung. It was probably not penned by Paul originally, but Paul takes a hymn that the church sang. Maybe Paul wrote it, we don't know. But it's a, it's a hymn that they sang, and he inserted it here. The answer is, be united. Consider others better than yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Just do what Jesus did. And in the passage, he goes on to say, right? Jesus, although he was existed in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Now, the word grasped is often confusing. It sounds like he's trying to grasp being equal with God, and he can't do it. But what the text is literally saying is, he was equal with God, and he didn't consider it something to hold on to. He let go of it and he became human. Now, God, of course, doesn't ever cease being God, but what he means is that God the Son became the man Jesus Christ. This, this is one of the clearest passages in the New Testament about God the Son becoming the man Jesus. Remember, God the Son's eternal, but at some point in time, he became human also. One person, the Son, two natures, human and divine, or divine and human. I'm in, I'm in uh, chapter two, verse five. Uh, Have this attitude in yourselves also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. And the word emptied in Greek is kenosis. So if you ever heard this, is the kenosis passage. He, he emptied himself. Right. Now remember, when he empties himself, God doesn't cease being God. It just means he became fully human. And as a full human being, he never accessed his divine attributes. When Jesus walked on water, it's because the Holy Spirit enabled him. When he did miracles, it's because the Holy Spirit did it through him. When he knew something, it's because the Holy Spirit told him. He acted, that's why he doesn't know the hour of his return, because as a human, he doesn't know. 
He only knows as the Father empowers him. That's why he was so deeply in prayer, which is a good, a good moral for us too, right? Because as a human, he must rely upon the nature of God. Right? Now note what happens now. He, um, uh, being, verse 8, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it begins by telling us how he was God and became man, but not just a man, but a man who suffered and a man who suffered on a cross. Now remember, of course, what a cross means, right? It's a swear word in the Roman world. It's a horrific way to die. Now look at what happens next. For this reason also, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compare some translations here. Oh. Um, therefore, the ESV says therefore, as a result, uh, the Greek, okay, dia, uh, dia, the, the Greek word could mean therefore. Uh, I would translate it as therefore. Most of the translations go with therefore. So as a result, for this reason, that they're all good translations. But therefore, because he humbled himself, therefore God exalted him. Right. And here you have another biblical principle, and that is you want to be exalted, then you must be humble. Right. You want to be first, you must be last. Right. right? Because God the Son humbled himself, therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God the Father. Right? Because he humbled himself, therefore God exalted him. Right? And how much in our life do we seek exaltation? But exaltation in the scriptures only comes through humiliation mm-hmm. and, and through the, and the way of suffering. Right? So here's your great passage about Jesus uh, um, and the kenosis and God the Son. All right, moving on. Um, also now, one of the problems in Philippi, uh, we, we, we know that there's, here's what's interesting. We know that there's some kind of discord, but Paul doesn't really give us details about what the discord is. I know there's an internal discord, but there's also an external discord. Externally, it's the circumcision group causing you troubles. But that doesn't appear to be what Paul's talking about when he says, you guys be united in spirit. Because mm-hmm. he, he, like, they're false believers. We're the true circumcision. So those guys are outside the faith. In chapter 3. In chapter 2, there's this discord internally. The only discord we know of, in, it literally, is chapter 4, Philippians 4, where he says, um, I urge you, Odia and Syntyche, to live in harmony. Which is interesting. He never tells what the problem is. These are two, they're female names, most definitely. They must be prominent leaders for, them, for Paul to call them out. He, he wouldn't call out like an average person in the congregation, right? Yeah. But he can call out leaders, can he? Mm-hmm. Are you, are, but he doesn't know what the problem is. The answer is, hey, would you guys just get along? Huh. Wouldn't it be easier if Paul would say, okay, you're right and you're not. You're right on this point, but right. No, like, hey, just get, look, get along. Sometimes we must resolve differences by just reconciling even by getting along, right? W- without picking a side. Does unity automatically equate doing the same thing? No, same no, no. Because unity is Paul and Barnabas going on two different journeys, exactly. right? Yeah. Paul, Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement, Luke says, that they parted ways. But, and I preached this a few weeks ago, um, my congregation needed here. I don't think they realized that they needed here. But I, I, when Paul and Barnabas went separate ways, here's what I said. Paul and Silas go this way, Barnabas and Mark go that way. One of the things that they do when they go separate ways, you don't speak negatively about each other. Because you know when Paul goes on that, remember the, the churches in Galatia, Lystra, uh, that first journey? Paul and, Barnabas, Paul and Silas go back to those churches. And the first question he's got to ask, he's got to be asked is, where's Barnabas? 
right? Where, why is Barnabas not here? Oh, he's so, he's so dogmatic. He, just, he had to insist on taking Mark. He's just wrong. Right? He, you can't do that because now you undermine Barnabas' ability to do ministry later on. So when they were with their separate ways, they were doing ministry. They were doing ministry. So you just validated something that I always believe. I've never believed that unity means, I, I never believed that you could have unity without first having purpose. The people at the Tower of Babel were unified, but God was not happy with them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Their purpose yeah. was not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder a lot of times do we equate, we're unified if we're doing the exact same thing. Okay, no, but within a local body now, I would say it this way. Within a local body, unity means we agree on the purpose, even if I didn't like it. Amen. Right? Because uh, as a local body, we decide however your government works. We decide on what the issue is. We decide on what the mission is. And we, we're all on board. We're like, you know what? I, I didn't vote for that. I'm not going to that event, Pastor. Sorry. Amen. That's not unity. Unity is respecting your leadership, respecting your pastor, respecting your authority, speaking into them if you think they're wrong. But once you've done that, and you've exhausted your opportunities, to do, then, then you say, okay, guess what? I'm in. I, 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 here's my money to, to support this church, even though I don't like the way you're spending it. Here's my, here, here's my time, even though I didn't agree with this event. I thought we should have done that event. Right? I'm, I'm here, right? Uh, et cetera. Et cetera. That, 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 that's unity. Paul and Barnabas, so the Pentecostal and the Baptist are unified even by having two different churches. And what you can't do is go, you know, those Pentecostals, they're just, you know, those Baptists, those Catholics, that undermines the work of the church. I may not agree with Catholics, uh, on all, or I may not agree with Pentecostal all things, or whatever else it might be, but we still need to be able to make sure, hey, guess what? They're still doing kingdom work, even if I don't agree with everything. And as soon as I speak badly to Dan about a Pentecostal, I didn't realize that there was a Pentecostal trying to witness to Dan. And now I just undermine his ability to, to learn about Jesus from that Pentecostal. Still talking about, okay, side note, still talking about unity and purpose. In, in your opinion, do you believe it's possible for a Catholic to be your brother? Yeah, I, I, th I do. Yeah, That's another whole conversation, if you, if you don't mind. But yeah, I do. I, I do think it's possible for a Catholic to be a brother in Christ. Let's put it this way. I'm not going to be so arrogant and presumptuous to say no to that. Amen. Because I think that's what it is. I, I don't agree with a lot of things that they do. Don't misunderstand me, right? But are there, are there Christians who are in the Catholic Church? Yes. I'm, there's just no way that I'm about to even begin to, 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 to make a decision, a judgment other than that. Uh, are there Christians in the Baptist church? Not all of them though, right? Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Are there Christians in the Pentecost church? Not all of them. There, what about the Presbyterians? Not, trust me, not all of them. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, all right, here we go. Now, Philippians 4, of course, ends, uh, actually Philippians 3 and 4 has this great... Uh, um, uh, verse, Philippians 3, verse 7, whatever's to my um, uh, gain, uh, I count as a loss uh, for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3, 8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, in whom I have suffered the loss of everything. I count them rubbish in order that I may, may gain Christ, may be found in him. And we could go on, of course. Uh, chapter 4, re verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Let, uh, I will say it again, rejoice. Verse 6, don't be anxious for anything. But in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to God, let your request be made known to God. So it becomes, it's this great joyous letter for the most part because Paul has a great relationship with the church in Philippi. Uh, and I think that's the key to that is what happens in Acts 16. Remember, Paul allowed himself to be beaten even though he was a Roman citizen and they couldn't legally do it. Yeah. And because he was beaten illegally, 
Now he had one up on the authorities in Philippi. Hey, if I report you to Rome, you're busted. You just beat a Roman citizen without a trial. And you're a colony of Rome. I'm a, a citizen of Rome means I'm a citizen of Rome, the city of Rome, not, not the empire, the city of Rome. And you beat one of its citizens without a trial. Oh, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? But that's not a war, wouldn't it? That, that, well, it, 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 could cause, it wouldn't start a war as much as it would cause Philippi to be in serious problems with Rome, jeopardizing their status as a colony. Now, a colony means every citizen of that colony is also a citizen of Rome. Their own citizenship was at stake, which has tax benefits. If they're attacked, Rome come, provides you military aid. It's a major issue. As a result, the church in Philippi was well protected now, locally, because of Paul's suffering. And as a result, it's not surprising that they, hey, Paul, we owe you. And so we'll send you a Epaphroditus, we'll send you a gift, we'll send you whatever you actually need. And so it, 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 it is, it is uh, this great letter. All right, Colossians. Colossians now. All right, Colossians and Ephesians are called the twin epistles. Colossians and Ephesians are called the twin epistles. And the reason why is because they basically are the same. The only difference is this. In other words, the content is the same. The focus is the difference. Colossians focuses upon Christ as the head of the body. I'll say this again. Colossians focuses upon Christ as the head of the body, whereas Ephesians focuses upon the, on the church as the body of Christ. Okay? Colossians focuses upon Christ as the head of the body. Ephesians focuses upon the church as the body of Christ. So remember, Ephesians had a household code? This is what the body of Christ does. You're the body of Christ. You are the temple of God. He, he broke down that barrier that divided Jew and Gentile. And so the focus in Ephesians is upon the church as the body of Christ, in temple language before. Colossians has a much greater focus upon Christ as the head of the church. So that's why we think Ephesians was written at the same time as Colossians. Because while I'm thinking about it, now it makes sense that Colossians was written while Paul was in a prison in Ephesus. And I have actually changed suit on this recently. Because I used to think Colossians was written from a Roman imprisonment. That's the traditional view. Uh, I, I, the more common evangelical view. But I think the scholarly consensus puts this letter being written by Paul. And I'll put another map up when we do Rome, Revelation. We'll see Colossae on that other map. Um, from a prison in Ephesus. And, and here's what's happening. Here's Ephesus right there. Here's Colossae right there. Okay, so Colossae, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess, 50, 60 miles inland. And here's one of the things that we know. Uh, if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 4. Colossians 1, verse 4. It says, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. What does that tell you about Paul's relationship with the church in Colossae? We heard of your faith. He hasn't been there. I only heard of it. I've never seen it, and I don't know of it personally. I've heard of your faith. So Paul has never been there. So Paul's in Ephesus, and there's a problem in Colossae, and so they visit Paul in Ephesus. But Paul's in prison, so he can't go back. Right? So here's what's going on. Now, a man, you don't have to worry about his name, but a man named Epaphras. You'll see, him, you'll see Epaphras several times in Colossians and in Philemon. Epaphras is probably the pastor of Colossae. <laughs> 
So a man named Epaphras comes to Paul and says, hey, here's what's going on. We need your help. Paul's in prison and he can't do anything but write a letter. The book of Philemon, now remember Philemon is a slave owner who lives in Colossae. So Colossians and Philemon are both written at the same time. And both probably carried at the same time. And it makes more sense that Onesimus has run away and ran into Paul in Ephesus than it does to say Onesimus ran away and met Paul in Rome. Okay? He ran away to Ephesus, met Paul, becomes a convert. Paul's like, I've got to send you back. And I know, that, I know Philemon, your owner, because the church meets in his house and I know the guy. Now, I don't think Paul's ever been to that church, though. Philemon probably has been to Ephesus, though. He also sends Colossians back because in the book of Philemon, it says Epaphras is also in prison. So the pastor comes to visit Paul, and he got in prison too. Now remember, in the book of Acts, it says there's a riot in Ephesus. So we know that Paul had a lot of conflict with the church in Ephesus, with the, 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 the pagans in Ephesus. Demetrius, the silversmith, was rioting because Paul's putting him out of business. The success of the church in Ephesus caused these problems. So that seems to be the setting for the book of, uh, of Colossians. The pastors come, hey, we got some problems. The problems are probably not quite the same that we've been experiencing all along, meaning Jewish Christians uh, who are, are, are circumcised people claiming, you guys got to be circumcised first. Remember Philippians, they were kind of Jewish Christians, but, they, but Paul's like, you're not even Christians. Here, it's, it, it's definitely Jews, um, but we don't know exactly the nature of, um, uh, of the, uh, the, the problem. So let's, let's go to Colossians 2, uh, let's see, verse uh, 16 and following. Okay, and we'll see what's going on with these people. What was that word that he used as far as uh, Colossians and Philippians? Twin epistles? Twin yeah, there you go. Twin epistles. Yep. All right. So Colossians 2.16. Let no one act as your judge, which means someone is acting as your judge. And Paul's like, just don't let them do it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. In regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. And there's your clue. If it's a Sabbath day, then it's going to be Jewish. And if it's food or drink, it's probably because you're eating with Gentiles, right? So this is probably some Jewish group that's judging these people. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Now we'll go one more step. If Paul's telling them, don't let anyone do this, it's probably because that's what they're trying to do. And what they're trying to do is to say, you're not saved. You don't have the prize. Because you're not, we don't really know, eating this food or, or you are eating that food because you're not celebrating this festival or you are celebrating that festival because you're not celebrating this Sabbath day. Right? Whatever, there appears to be some Jewish people in Colossae that are causing the Christians to question their own salvation. Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, I thought you were going to no, okay, so here we go. So now Paul's writing to encourage them. So let's go back to chapter 1. We don't have too much time on all this, but we're doing all right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the beginning is, we heard of your faith. Yeah. Um, Colossians 1, verse 4. Okay. Uh, and note, by the way, this trilogy, we heard of your faith mm-hmm. and your love which you have for the saints and the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. Remember, no, faith, hope, hope, and love. There you go. Yeah. Right, you can see. Paul begins with a, with a thanksgiving. Remember verse 3? Verse, no, verse 3, we give thanks. Here's the, here's the thanksgiving. And what's the thanksgiving? Your salvation, your faith, your hope, and your love. Right? He's affirming them. Right? 
Uh, and look at verse 6. It's bearing fruit and increasing. Middle of verse 6. Uh, it's come to you just in all the world. It's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. I don't know if your NIV says the same words. Something like that? You have something like bearing fruit and increasing in the middle of verse 6? Bring your mindset, bring yes. your fruit. Bring, all right. Mindset is bearing fruit. All right. Note again the Eden language. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why were the Israelites enslaved in Egypt in, in, in Exodus 2? Because they were being fruitful and multiplying and increasing greatly. And Pharaoh goes, hey, pretty soon they're going to be so numerous. It's, Exod- it's um, Genesis language. Mm-hmm. All right. so, so you'll note also this creation language. Now, here's the next thing to note, and that's this then. And I'll, I'll skip over. All right. Um, uh, let's see. Verse 13 now. For referring to Christ, remember, it's a focus is on, is on Christ as the head of the church in Colossians. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So, note the kingdom language. You were in that kingdom, but now you're in this kingdom. And the, the kingdom that you were in is a domain of darkness, which means that's the one that Satan's in charge of. And now he delivered you to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? Again, affirming their salvation. Now what happens next is another... Uh, now, interestingly, my Bible didn't, didn't do it this way. Uh, it's, it's not in a hymn form. It, it's, it's in um, a, a narrative form. It, it didn't, it didn't um, center justify it. Like a, like, a, like a poem. But it's probably a poem. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is a Christ poem. It may be a, a Christ hymn. Right, and, and here's, I'm going to put this up. I, I know this won't mean a lot to you, but, but I think it'll mean enough. Uh, and I think I, I think I put this on your handout on Colossians, didn't I? I did. All right. yeah. so, uh, so if you have the handout on Colossians. About the hymn? Uh, about the hymn. Right in the middle of the page, I put in bold print. And it says, Colossians 1, 15-20 is a hymn in honor of Christ. And I put in bold, it moves from creation, verses 15-17, to new creation, verses 18-20. And then I outlined Colossians 1, 15-20 in what follows. And you'll note, capital A, He is the image of the invisible God. And note, capital B, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And what I want you to note is that the, the capital A is the first creation. And it says Jesus is the creator of it. He's the image of the invisible God, and he's also the one who made the creation. Letter B, however, is about the new creation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And he, and the and, and and I put down number one. The firstborn from the dead means that with Jesus' resurrection, the new age has come. Okay? Now, I won't bother showing you. Uh, 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 well, uh, all right. Yeah, it, 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 you can't read Greek. I, I recognize that. But you can see that has esten, has esten, has esten. It's, re- it, it, it's the same words. Right. He is the image. He, who, who is, or he, or he is. I would translate this as who is. But who is, or he is, the image, uh, icon. Who is the arche, the, the beginning, the ruler? Okay. Now note, prototokos, prototokos. So you can see that the way the author has done this is the parallel structure. So the, the way I outlined it follows this. First creation, second creation. Firstborn, firstborn. Firstborn over all creation, firstborn from the dead. So the outline that I have, I want, I just want, that's why I wanted you to see this, is just simply saying the outline I gave you actually reflects the structure in the Greek text. Okay. 
And so what's happening is, is the point of that is, is Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation because he's the creator, creator of it. Now the word firstborn throws us a little bit. So very briefly, let me discuss it. Um, and it's the, I, I put it on your outline so you would have it actually. It's a title given to Israel. And that letter, and, uh, I'm sorry, um, and letter B. It's a title or position and really means heir or first in rank or preeminent. Okay, and here's, and here's how we know that. Firstborn means this. If, if I have two, I have three sons uh, and a daughter. But in an ancient Israelite world, the, my inheritance, oh, 50 bucks, would go to my three sons. My oldest son is the firstborn and gets a double share. Right, so if it's $100, he gets 50. My second son gets 25 and my third son gets 25. The firstborn gets a double inheritance. If there's six kids, he gets one, you know, two-sevenths of it. And everybody else gets one-seventh. Right? Firstborn, however, does not necessarily mean the first one out of the womb. Because Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Right? Esau's the older, but Jacob got the inheritance. Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Ephraim's older, but Manasseh got the inheritance. I got it backwards. Right? Yeah, yeah. Manasseh's older, but Ephraim got the inheritance. Okay. Okay. So you have times. Remember, Joseph goes and does this, even though, and, and, the, and, the, and the son, the son goes, uh, "No, Dad, do it the other way." He's like, "No, no, I got it right." Yeah. Right? Because uh, uh, Isaac was mine. And so he blesses the younger, and the younger because, uh, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. It says, "If firstborn meant first created, you can't call Ephraim the firstborn son." Because he's not. But it's a title. And it refers to the one who is the heir. So the question is, why is Jesus the firstborn over all creation? And the answer is, because he created it. He's the heir, or the superior one over all creation, because he's the creator of it. He's also the firstborn from the dead, which means he's also the heir, or the superior one, over the new creation as well. And that new creation is what we also are experiencing in Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so another great passage in the book of Colossians. Now, with the time remaining, all right, I'm not going to get the first, second Thessalonians, so we'll have to do that next time. But with the last five or so minutes, let me fi- let's look at the household code in the book of Colossians now. Note the parallel of Colossians and Ephesians. And there's, and there's the household code. All right, now, the, the household code uh, is going to begin in verse 18. But before we look at that, uh, uh, note uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3, 1, If you've been raised with Christ, that's the new creation, right? Then seek the things above. Now don't think spatially above. Above is simply a reference to where God dwells, and where God dwells is the heavenly realm, and the heavenly realm is all around us. Because God dwells everywhere, right? It's another spatial, dimensional uh, 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 type of thing. Uh, Instead, he says, Therefore, verse 5, Consider your members of your earthly body as dead. Right? And so, therefore, don't do these things. Verse 9, don't lie to one another, because you laid aside the old self mm-hmm. with the evil practices. And you, verse 10, you put on the new self, which is being renewed to a not true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Note this is not moralism again then, right? Going back to the therapeutic, this is not moralism. This is, you're dead to that. Mm-hmm. And if you live to that, then you're dead to this, and you're in trouble. 
This is who we are, our identity in Christ. And actually, I skipped something very important here. Did you have a comment? No, no, no. Okay, all right. So, uh, something very important in Colossians 1. Uh, so, going back there, and that's this. Uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I, I think this is central to, the, to one of the themes that I've been trying to point out. <coughs> Paul says, Colossians 1, 28, We proclaim him, which is Christ, admonishing, and, and admonish means to warn or advise, right? Every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching Jesus and I'm warning you and encouraging you with wisdom so that you may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power which works mightily within me. Let me, let me bring up the translations for just a minute. Right, and you'll see the ESV says we want to present every man um, uh, mature in Christ. And New American Standard says complete in Christ. Then that Bible says mature um, NIV, fully mature. And um, uh, New Living Translation says perfect. Mm -hmm. right, the Greek says telos. It's this word teleon. Telos. T-E-L-E. I'm sorry, T-E-L-O-S would be the English way of saying it. Teleology is a study of the end. A study of perfection, completion, maturity, the, the word means the perfection, completion, maturity, the end, the goal. I'm preaching Christ so that we can present every one of you fully mature, perfect, having attained the goal. Yeah. What's the goal? Christ-likeness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why? Because when we become a new creation in Jesus, right, mm -hmm. we become Christ. In the sense that we are bearing God's image. We become in his, we're made in his image. And we're to reflect his image by growing in the likeness and image and glory of Christ. I'm not Jesus. Nope. I'm just supposed to imitate him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Be therefore imitators, Paul's going to say. And the goal is to present us as perfect in Christ. And in doing so, I now reflect Christ because that's, exact, that's just who I am. It's not moralism trying to do good for the sake of doing good. It's perfection in terms of who I am. I don't lie because that's my old self. That's just not who I am anymore. So you're not working out your own salvation. I'm not, I'm not working it out in, in that sense. That's correct. That, that's right. I, I'm not, it, it, in other words, the goal of the Christian life is to fulfill who I now am. Be set free. Be free. It, it, which, is, which is freedom. That, that's right. That's the irony, right? The irony is, I don't want to be religious because I have to follow its rules. But in not being a follower of Christ, I'm actually a slave to sin. That's why Paul said, remember Galatians, you are now free. And you're no longer slaves of sin. Romans 6, you were slaves of sin. We're now free, but we're free to love. All right, very quickly, we've got three minutes. Here we go. The, 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 um, the household code. Okay, the household code's got a parallel Ephesians. But here's what I want us to know. Some, uh, I think this is significant, and this is going to be my take on it. And I, I think the scholarly world is going to agree with me, but that's okay uh, if you don't. Here we go. Um, verse 18. Wives. Uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3. Okay. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Okay. Uh, now note, I point out some creation language early in Colossians, right? Be fruitful, and your, 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 your faithfulness is bearing fruit and increasing. 
right? We saw the new creation language in the uh, Christ name of chapter, 15, chapter 1, 15 to 20. Uh, um, you die to this, you're alive to this. It's this creation language that pervades Colossians. Okay. Now, if we go back to Genesis, and we know something, very, and I'm, I'm, I only got a couple minutes, but that's okay, we'll do our best here. We go back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and we look at the curse, and the first thing to note is that we're looking at the curse. Um, upon Adam and Eve. And, and it's a curse. This is not, God's not saying this is the way it should be. It's just simply this is the way it's going to be because it's a curse. To the woman, he said, verse 16, I'm going to increase your greatly multiply, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bear forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Mm-hmm. Now, some people go, that's just the way it's supposed to be in the home. The woman's going to have a desire for her husband, and the husband's going to rule over her. Okay. The problem with that interpretation, I think, is that this is a curse passage. Instead of God ruling over you, your husband's going to rule over you. This rulership is not a good thing. It's a rulership with friction. And the word for desire, here's the problem. The, the Hebrew word for desire, your desire will be for your husband. It's used three times in the Old Testament. Now, to understand what a word means, the more times it's used, the better it is, right? Because we have different contexts. It's used three times. One, I think, is in the Song of Songs. One here, and the other one in chapter 4. Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. The fact that it's used twice out of its three occurrences in the span of like 20 verses suggests that we can probably look at these two (coughs) verses and maybe get a feel for what the word desire means. The other occurrence of desire is in Genesis 4, talking to Cain. And it's verse 7. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you don't do well, sin is crouching at its door and its desires is for you but you must master it. Note the word for desire means a desire to rule or dominate. Mm-hmm. Sin's desire to dominate you, but you better master it. If we go back to Genesis 3 then, it seems to fit the context well. And that is that one of the consequences of the fall is animosity between husband and wife. Mm-hmm. You want a desire to rule over your husband, but he's going to rule over you. Mm-hmm. And there's this friction. If we then go to Colossians 3 and we read it in light of new creation, I think what we see then is Paul saying, in the new creation, we're going to overcome the curse. All right, and here's what I mean. Colossians 3. I can probably bring it up on the computer faster than the Bible, uh, the paper, but that's all right. Colossians 3, it says, Wives, be subject to your own, your own husbands, knowing that in your old flesh, you actually don't want to be subject to your husbands. You want a desire to rule, to rule over them. Right? Make sense? Be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and don't be embittered against them. See, the word rule in Hebrew, in Genesis uh, 3, means to, to dominate. And Paul's saying, no, let's, let's, overturn, let's overturn the curse. I know you wives want to dominate your husbands, but I want you to submit to them. And I know your husbands want to dominate and rule over your wives in a nasty way, but don't be embittered. Now, I do think Paul is maintaining a cultural norm that the husband's the head of the home. Mm-hmm. 
But in the Roman world, you just follow women. That's the way it works. And Paul's answer is no. Don't make her embittered against you. And we have this, this equality that's coming about. Remember, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor female nor female. Right? So we'll maintain some status, but we're not going to fall the way, the, the, the way it works. And we're going to undermine this curse, I think, in, in, in Genesis. Okay. And so, so you... So you yeah. I, I, I can see that. Okay. As far as the household code. Yeah. Uh, with the Romans. And they're trying to, and, and uh, as far as the husband, as far as the wife being submissive yeah. to her husband, um, it was according to the household. Paul is saying, no. You don't want you to practice that like that. He's saying, I, just don't do it the way they do it. Do it, the way they do it. Because the curse is that there's friction. Right. But that's the old creation. In the new creation now, we have mutual submission. We have love as a, dominating, as a domination, right? They'll know we're Christians because we love one another. We submit, we, we, right? And, and we need to reflect that even in our marriages, right? Same thing, by the way, with the, with the fathers. No, no, he, says, he says the same thing about fathers and children as well. Um, fathers, don't exasperate your children that they may lose heart, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and, and it goes on. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you for all that you've given to us. We've digested a lot tonight. I pray that you'll continue to help my brothers and sisters to to take the time that they need to to do the homework and to read and to become equipped and, and familiar with that as a result of this course, by the time we're done here in a few weeks, that we'll just have a familiarity with the New Testament far greater and deeper than we had before we started. Uh, knowing that there's just so much more to learn, that's okay. Amen. Knowing that, that, that we're not going to remember everything we learned, and that's okay. But at the same time, knowing that we've been entrusted with the knowledge of the Word of God that is dynamic and transformative in our own lives, and as a result of that, we can, we can be more effective teachers and, and pastors and leaders and servants and, te- and Sunday school class teachers and, and just disciple makers as well as servants of the community. Yeah. We pray, Lord, indeed your blessings come. And we ask, Lord, come, O oh Lord, and bring us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.